This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. What the American people in this country need, they need somebody that is unabashed and that has the courage and the conviction to stand up for them and to call out the rigging of this system. So the social contract is broken. You broke the contract when you killed us in the streets and didn't give a fuck. You broke the contract when for 400 years we played your game and built your wealth. You broke the contract when we built our wealth again on our own by our bootstraps in Tulsa and you dropped bombs on us. When we built it in Rosewood and you came in and you slaughtered us. You broke the contract, so fuck your target. Fuck your Hall of Fame. As far as I'm concerned, they could burn this bitch to the ground. And it still wouldn't be enough. And they are lucky that what black people are looking for is equality and not revenge. from a show called Burn It Down with Kim Brown. Burn it, burn it, burn it down with Kim Brown. What's up, you? My name is Kim Brown. This is my show channel, my channel show. It's called Burn It Down with Kim Brown. This is a safe space to set oppression ablaze. What is oppression? All the shit that's fucking us up. Misogynoir, racism, xenophobia, transphobia, homophobia, all the crazy phobias and isms that need to fucking go. You know why? It's the 21st century, and we too old to be dealing with this bullshit. This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. You're going to sing to swim. You're going to learn the truth. No matter what you do, you're going to learn the truth. Alternative activists empowerment talk radio. Speaking truth to power and ourselves. That is a three-strike law and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. matters. You just don't give up, just don't give up. And now, Janice Graham. And good evening, and welcome to the Truth Sanctuary. You know where we're rolling tonight. Thank you for being with us here at Our Common Ground. And if you're listening to us on your smart device of some, of some kind, and you'd like to join us in our chat room where they gossip, they fight, they act ugly, and then they get beautiful here 
in the Truth Sanctuary at Our Common Ground. It's October 9th, 2021, and I am Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. I hope that you are being safe, that you're keeping your distance. I'm keeping my distance from these yahoos down here in Florida because these fools, they don't know what's real. And uh, I was in a line yesterday, and the people behind me didn't have on a mask. The people in front of me didn't have on a mask. And I happened to have my mask on, and I wish I had had my visor. But I took my face down into my shirt and tried to save my life. Oh, my God, these people. It is Florida stand for real. You know, I've been with you for 34 years, and not one of you emailed me, texted me, or called up here on Our Common Ground asking me, why the hell are you moving from Boston to Palm Beach County? Well, most of you understood that this is home for me. This is where my roots are. This is where the ancestral lands are, et cetera, et cetera. But I miscalculated this stuff in the era of Trump because I am surrounded. I mean, even my friends are saying to me, if Florida succeeds from the union, how the hell are you going to escape? Um, I'm telling you. But thank you again uh, for being with us here at Our Common Ground tonight. Uh, we're going to be deep diving into some black truth with Kim Brown. She is the host of Burning It Down with Kim Brown. And I'm going to be very excited to have it, having a conversation with her. She's a longtime culture and political commentator and broadcaster who has interviewed the likes of Jay-Z and Harry Belafonte. She has drawn the ire of popular white supremacist leaders, media leaders such as Tucker Carlson. How the hell he get in the mix? And Matt Walsh for her black liberation views that we're going to be talking with her about tonight. And I'm going to tell you, Kim hosts Burn It Down with Kim Brown, and it's a YouTube channel every Tuesday and Friday at 5 p.m. But let me, let, me, let me make it even more clear. It's a twice-weekly live broadcast, and she calls out systemic issues within our society, and she has a vision for a new world where black people are truly free. She talks about how to reconstruct, restructure, and create systems that are inclusive of everyone. And that's what really caught my eye about her. Many of you know that I am a systems process, um, a professionally trained systems processor. And I have listened to a number of her broadcast, and she keeps it real, and she is intentionally and purposely destroying myths that the media and some of y'all favorite politicians and some of y'all not-so-favorite politicians love that we uh, ought to be believing that 
are being pushed. Uh, myths like the American exceptionalism, and we're going to be talking with her about her place that she has created to set oppression on fire. Uh, it is a black woman-led independent media that don't DGAF. That's my new thing this week since I've been looking at, at Kim Brown, my DGAF. And we'll tell you what that means uh, shortly about taking on the establishment. And I am telling you, she makes a microphone rumble. Many of you know that I am going to be closing my 35th year as a broadcaster uh, at the end of February 2022. Now, I said as a broadcaster. I didn't say in broadcasting. So uh, let's be clear about that because this is my life's work. That other stuff I was doing, lawyering and all that other stuff for all those years where, you know, I get the check every month <laughs> and was able to retire down here in Florida stand, that was my work to pay the bills. But this, this truth sanctuary has been my life's work and I didn't and I discovered it very early in my life. I've been in this struggle in every kind of precipice you could find for the liberation of black people. Um, for many, many years I have seen it come go. I have had my heart broken but never my dreams, never my hope, never my hope for people like you. You know, there are some black people who can afford to have their own hope. There are some black people who believe that they can't afford a hope. They just have to struggle on and struggle on, and we're going to talk about some of that. Um a, I wish I had an applause. I do have an applause track, but I can't find it right now. But Alpha has just entered the chat room, and I talked to him, with him for a long time yesterday. And for those of you who, who do not know, Alpha is the host of the Alpha Show and has been on medical leave over there at TruthWorks Network another one of my channels. And Alpha has finally arrived home. He got home on Thursday. Things are falling into place. He is working on becoming healthy and healthy and healthy, and we are so pleased. I have very much, you all know how much I love him. He is the brother in my life. And uh, here he is sitting after so many months of um, medical crisis and challenges. He's sitting in our chat room tonight. So we are really, really pleased to have him. Uh, tonight at our Common Ground, I want to have a word before we bring in our guests. Systemically and institutionally, 
oppressed survivors face tremendous overwhelming barriers uh, when they seek advocacy and justice. The challenges and the history of our oppression is so many times met with lies, propaganda, and obfuscation. There are historical underpinnings, which include events that took place in the past which impact how we as a people, as a community, perceive current events and reactions. We use our history as a lens to provide some kind of approach, whether it be emotional, spiritual, economic, social, educational, and our knowledge to claim our liberation. And I think that it is so important how we use others in that struggle. It is critical. We use others to fill us in. Unfortunately, we have a lot of black people out here talking about black liberation who don't have a heart for it, and they're standing on the very vulnerable structure of a people struggling to be free without understanding who those people are, what their challenges are and crisis, and believing that those people want to be like them. And you know, if you've been listening to this broadcast, I have a huge freaking problem with that. So as I count down the months ahead of before I put down this microphone, one of the things that I have been doing for a very long time, I mean, you've heard the voices here, um, is to find, to reach back and find the people who will carry the mantle. Passing the baton is a process. It is a ritual. And we, the senior elders in our community, we don't take enough mindfulness as we move into the years where not, it is not because we become useless or not useful, it is because it is time for the lens. You know how you go to the eye doctor and the man and the woman changes the lens to see which looks better? It's time to uh, switch the lens. So I am looking at how I pass on what I have created, and that is a community, and use it as a baton. Am I making sense here? Wait a minute. Let me, let me go back. I am looking for a home for you when I am not here. I mean, I do it for, I'm doing it for my daughter. I've been talking to people that I trust. If something happens to me, I need you to hold her up. I need you to be there for her. 
and she's probably sitting in in her um what 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 does she call it her den or her office somewhere in her house saying mom i don't need you to go recruit nobody for me yes you do you need to i know that everybody needs a wall you know how you lean on the wall as i used to tell my mother she says, oh, I'm just going to pick up a couple of things in the in the supermarket. And I would say, look, get a basket and lean on the basket in case you whatever. She says, I don't need a basket. I'm just going to run in. No, you need something to lean on. So tonight, it is really my honor to have with me Kim Brown, the host of Burn It Down on YouTube, and I'm going to be asking you all to support her because she's not like me. She needs your support to keep her running. Kim Brown, thank you so very much for joining us on Our Common Ground. I know you've been waiting in the wings. I am so pleased to have you. Thank you so much for that amazing glowing introduction janice i'm so very happy uh to be joining you and everybody else tonight on our common ground i really really appreciate you the invitation well i'm i'm excited to to have you meet my audience and some of them um may be um familiar with your your broadcast and your work but i think that what you are doing is in the heart of what we need moving forward. We are never going to not need as a community, and and I want to talk to you about that. We're never never going to need as a community someone who can't critically analyze and pick apart and summarize for us uh, what our challenges, our crises, and our solutions are and how we collaborate in our ideas about making a better world for for our children and our grandchildren and our great grandchildren. Uh, and I, making I the ancestors that. pleased. Yeah, making the ancestors pleased. Listen, how did you get in this work? So I came to this work, I guess from disillusionment from working in mainstream broadcast outlets uh, earlier in my career. So when I began in broadcasting, I started off as a radio personality, banging hip-hop and R&B, you know, at different radio stations uh, in in cities across the country, including D.C., including St. Louis, Missouri, including uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Philadelphia, and Um, While I very much always enjoyed being on the radio, uh, what I did not always enjoy was the sort of content um, that, you know, urban radio uh, jocks are are encouraged to um, dispense to to their young audiences. Uh, So that, that began to, like, bug me. And um, once I came back to the DMV area, where, where is where I'm from, from Maryland originally, um, I pivoted to, to reporting on news. And at first I started off 
um, doing traffic. I was a morning traffic reporter in Baltimore. Uh, but then I had the opportunity to work for, at the time it was called the Voice of Russia Media, but now it's called Sputnik Radio, which is absolutely Russian-owned media. Uh, but I had the opportunity there to not only report news, but to have my own news political commentary show called The Kim Brown Show, uh, which went for about two years. So that was actually um, when I pivoted, I would say, from entertainment broadcast to more so of um, reporting from reporting things from more, a more serious lens. And, you know, the good thing about working at uh, the, the Voice of Russia at the time is that they never placed any restrictions on what I could talk about or what subjects I could cover. Um, I, 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 like I said, I was. It was a really good opportunity. I got, you know, Capitol Hill credentials and credentials, you know, to cover things in and around D.C. Uh, so I, so I really had the opportunity to use my journalism training because I, I did have a journalism degree uh, to to really put that to work in in a tangible sense. But I and and, and I got to comment and give interviews on subjects and things from my perspective, which is very much a working class perspective, which is, which is very much um, a black feminist, womanist perspective, uh, and someone who cares tremendously about m- movement building and environmental issues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you really started out your broadcast career in the same market as Oprah. <laughs> that was that, well, indeed, that that is one. Yes, that is one way to look at it. Absolutely, and actually, it was the same the same TV station, if I'm not mistaken. I do believe Oprah was working at uh, WMAR News News Channel Two in in Baltimore. Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, it's interesting. I went on the air at the same time on the same date as Oprah's first show. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I was doing radio. I had been invited by Westwood to, in, to, 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 to submit a demo for that opportunity that they were creating, and I made a very um, purposeful decision that um, I did not want to do TV. Uh, <laughs> and that was probably, and and you know, but we all make decisions that that we know best serve us in 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 the mm-hmm. end, in the long run, right? There's absolutely yeah. been yeah. decisions I've made in my career that people would look at me like, "Why did you do that?" <laughs> it's like, well, because yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it may not make sense to you, but I I know what peace looks like for me, so <laughs> so I I could I could understand. Well, well, well. Um, let's get into it, Kim. You have been doing Burn It Down for how long now? Just coming up on a year. It'll be, uh, we launched the channel officially October of 2020, but it was launched initially as part of the Real News Network, where I used to also work as a journalist um, there. But the Real News went through layoffs. So uh, a couple of the people that were also involved in the layoff asked if they could still work on the show with me, which was the most, like, 
uh, humbling thing in the world uh, because, you know, this is a fledgling thing. You know, we didn't have any money. We didn't have any backing. So we, so we, we count our anniversary as December of 2020 because that is when we were all laid off from the real news, and that is when we all began to work independently on Burning Town with Kim Brown. So coming up on a year. Mm-hmm. Tell me what is the most burning issues that you have raised over that year? Honestly, there's so many that are burning simultaneously, (laughs) Janice. I mean, just like the wildfires in California that we have seen, just like all the environmental and climate disasters that we have been experiencing, not here just in the U.S., but really globally, to the police violence that, that continues to plague our community, to the pervasiveness of rape culture that still is, is very much harming uh, black and indigenous women and femmes and our members of our LGBTQ communities. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of issues, I think, that we've raised uh, on Burn It Down with Kim Brown. Um, one of the things that I think that we do is that we try to bring attention uh, to elected officials or potential political candidates um, who are actually running on the platforms and on the issues that we support. So um, we've been looking pretty strongly at the mayoral race in Buffalo, New York, where there is a black woman who is a democratic socialist by the name of India Walton. She did something pretty uh, unprecedented. She upset the incumbent Democratic mayor of Buffalo who had been there for well over a decade, Byron Brown, and and defeated him in the Democratic primary. Uh, And there's been a a lot of controversy, not even negatively surrounding her, but around people basically trying to impede and stop her campaign from moving forward, Uh, though it is moving forward, and we're very excited about India Walton uh, up there in Buffalo. And recently I I interviewed uh, the first black woman to ever be an official candidate on the ballot for governor of Virginia. Her name is Princess Blending. And she is running under the Liberation Party. And a couple of weeks ago, um, she was excluded from the Virginia gubernatorial debate between the Republican and the Democratic uh, candidates there, and, and, and that was wrong. And, and she came mm-hmm. on the program to explain her platform, which um, is, is grounded in a lot of uh, grassroots policies. She is a teacher. Um, her brother was a, a victim of police violence. Uh, who was shot and killed by by Richmond police, I believe, while experiencing a mental health crisis. Um, so we're, we're really trying to touch on a lot of issues at the same time. Uh, I can't leave out the labor issues. Obviously, this has been a tremendous year for unions and for organizing uh, with a number of different unions in, in various industries going on strike. Uh, the Kellogg's folks are on strike right now. Um, in Kellogg's plants across the country, including uh, Omaha and Memphis, uh, also up there in Michigan. So, um, I mean, we try to touch on a lot of things where we basically try to center the issues uh, concerning marginalized folks. Um, I try to center black women as much as possible, right, Um, truly at all times as much as I can, uh, but also 
issues concerning workers, issues pertaining to our indigenous brothers and sisters, because I feel as though our struggles are very much intertwined with indigenous people's struggles, uh, to the environment. So I try, I try to touch on a, a variety of issues that I believe, well, number one, are important to me, but I believe that are of import to our community that oftentimes don't get the attention nor the type of coverage from mainstream outlets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if if I add, let, let's talk about a couple of issues, uh, and not just issues that you have uh, covered um, over the last year, because you came right in when m- many people were beginning to understand the critical impact that the murder of George Floyd was going to have on the political landscape. Uh, Let's talk about police reform and the Biden administration's unwillingness to um, highlight, deliver on the necessary reforms, um, the recent breakdown of the task force uh, to work on that was working on the George Floyd um, police reform bill. What are these people doing? <laughs> um, not too much. Not much. They're not doing much, Janice. Uh, and, and you know the reason why. Uh, a lot of the policy, particularly at the national level surrounding any sort of quote-unquote police reform, usually fails is because there's not a political will for it, uh, just for the simple fact that both Democrats and Republicans are both beholden to the police state. The idea of defunding the police, especially at a national level, uh, is just an anathema to them. They, they, it's something they cannot even fathom. It's something that Democrats, as mainly the establishment Democrats, simply recoil at even the hint of accusation that you would accuse them of trying to defund the police. Um, it, it's something that they just can't stand. And they're, they're really not interested in, in reforming the police. Um, mm-hmm, they, they are happy with the role that the police play. I mean, Democrats say that they understand the need for reform, but usually they say that around election time, right? Um, I think we're probably going to hear more about police reform headed into the midterms next year, 2022, because I think the Democrats understand that nationally um, they are going to be operating at a deficit for the simple fact that Joe Biden has already reneged on a number of promises that he made to Democratic voters, specifically black Democratic voters. Um, And black Democrats showed up and delivered two unprecedented Senate seats from the state of Georgia uh, for Joe Mm -hmm. Biden. And and Joe Biden, in return, uh, shorted us $600 from our stimulus uh, and, you know, it doesn't have the will to do anything in terms of reform. So Mm -hmm. I think we have to look – um, at where reform efforts are going at a local level. And I really want people to pay attention to Initiative 4 on the Minneapolis ballot. So there's an election in Minneapolis this year, and organizers there have got an initiative on the ballot where they are encouraging voters to vote yes on four. And yes on four is really um, probably one of the most radical policy reformations that are out there being proposed. Uh, 
uh, that would basically reallocate a, a lot of police funds, if not outlaw the MPD outright, um, to direct those funds towards public safety and training up a public safety force, for all intents and purposes, uh, of people that would respond to calls, particularly involving those who are experiencing a mental health crisis. Um, you know, you know, change comes from on the ground up. It, it absolutely does not come from the top down. And, you know, Jim Crow Joe has earned that moniker for a reason. In the 90s, as I'm sure you remember, Janice, uh, Joe Biden was so gleefully drafting and creating policy and legislation that would keep black and brown people incarcerated for very, very long times um, for for, for, for small and big crimes alike, uh, but we know where these policies ended up doing the most harm, uh, where absolutely where, where, where black people live. Uh, and more police has never been the answer. And there's not really much data that even people who support the police can even point to and say that when we spend this much money on police, crime goes down. Um, I know in a lot of Democratic-led cities across the country this summer, where gun violence has been spiking, a lot of, uh, let me just speak for actually for where I know, here in Washington, D.C., Mayor Muriel Bowser, who was a black woman Democrat, authorized unlimited overtime for Metropolitan Police, for the D.C. Police Force, and the, the number of gun, gun crimes and shootings in the district seemingly have not gone down. Um, so spending money or more money on police does not ever equate to a decrease in violence, and it's time for reimagining better ways to to address these systemic issues because we know that violence in, in, in quote-unquote crime, crime is sort of subjective in itself, um, but we know that violence and crime are born out of poverty and out of lack. So if we can address those issues, if we can address people's basic issues of, of housing, of food security, of, of um, education, and people being ha able to have opportunities, instead of spending all those hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars on policing and incarceration, I am very certain that we would have a, a different outcome. Mm -hmm. Well, while we're talking about it, uh, let me just say I um, sat in the room at during the testimony of Anita Hill, and I had been um, I ended up going to the hearing because of the mismanagement I had been in contact with. Uh, Senator Ted Kennedy's office and the mismanagement by Joe Biden of that entire nomination. Um, having known Clarence Thomas for many years up to that point, uh, don't get it twisted. I was no friend with Clarence Thomas, so y'all don't start no <laughs> shit up in here. <laughs> I, but, I didn't um, think so. I didn't think so. <laughs> but Joe Biden has always been um, to the 
to the right of the Democratic Party. And that's not to say that the Democratic Party is no more or no less than a conservative movement. Even though their policies are gendered toward keeping the vote. So I'll I'll say that. But here we are, Faith Kim, with a president of the United States following um, an absolute psychotic that was the president. And then prior to that, I always said that President Barack Obama was paralyzed in place um, during his tenure as the sitting president. So here we are, all these years later, and we are now being led by an, a senior white man who is playing uh, by the political rules and governance and guidance of 30 years ago. He, he understands the political landscape. So my question has been in the last couple of, um, over the last six months, is how do we as black people begin to change our understanding of our obligation, responsibility, and strategies to respond? And by that I mean... For instance, on the issue of police reform, you're absolutely right. The action has to occur at the state and the local level. And people don't understand that it is the city council and the city and the mayor and the city manager who signs the the union contract, the police union contract, who budgets for the departments, and they are the overseers and monitors, and they and they're not doing their job. So as black people, we got we have some shit in the game. We we have some stuff in the game on this issue that we're not playing. How do we begin to do that? Well, Janice, I think one way that we need to do that is that we need to re-examine and very much readjust the way that we view the role of the police because, like so many people who pay taxes and who would like to believe that, you know, the police are there to help people in need, um, you said something that really got my attention when you said that, um, you know, the the mayors and elected officials, city council people, et cetera, um, are not doing their job when they basically allow um, police to abuse our community. But I would I would implore that perhaps that is the police's job to specifically keep black people in line. Um, the police are very much there to to, to reinforce 
the class divide, right? They are there to protect property and the owners of that property. And I, I would imagine the more valuable your property, <laughs> the, the, the higher level of police protection uh, that you receive, and consequently uh, the, the lower your property, or if you have no property at all, then you can expect the police to be highly visible and and likely um, o- over-present and over-represented in, in your community and in your neighborhood. Um, so this is why the whole defund the police movement and abolish the police movement um, are, are, are very determined and mean when they say these things. Uh, these, these aren't just catchy phrases as Jim Clyburn would have you believe or Will Smith <laughs> would have you believe uh, that defund the police is just or a catchy. He, huh? uh, recently, or yesterday, it was Freeman, whoever, you know, the actor man, Freeman. Mark Morgan Freeman? Freeman? Morgan Freeman said that. What? Yeah. What did Morgan Freeman say? Don't tell me he didn't. He came <laughs> he out said, against the fund the police. He said the police, for the most part, and I'm paraphrasing, for the most part, do a good job. Okay. Of what? <laughs> of, of protecting people <laughs> like Morgan Freeman? Yes. Of protecting rich, rich people. He said we can't, we can't defund the police because they're doing a good job. Hey, no, I'm, listen. I'm, I'm, I'm really done with the. Celebrities and the and the and the athletes and um, all these people. I'm, I've been done with them for a long time. That's why I can't think of their names. <laughs> Which is understandable because you know what? All we have to do is, is I guess, look at the people who who Hollywood embraces and look at the people whom I guess the mainstream rejects. For example, you know, I'm, I'm obviously thinking of someone like Colin Ka- Colin Kaepernick. Um, who was blackballed out out of the NFL uh, because of his very courageous stance and even kneeling. But then you have goofies like uh, Des Bryant <laughs> who come out mm. and criticize someone like Ka- Colin Kaepernick and accuse Colin of, of not, you know, basically putting his money where his mouth was, whereas, you know, Google is so free you can so easily Google things, and it's so obvious that Colin Kaepernick has a very lengthy track record for indeed putting his money behind uh, causes yeah. and efforts that he believes will will uplift the community and educate the community. So uh, people just talk silly, and it's usually the elites talking silly to the rest of us. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you, you know, I, I encourage people to definitely check out the work of folks like Dr. Jared Ball, um, and Dr. Well, Jared uh, has been a guest many times on this show. Oh, wonderful! He yes, had his well, own channel. <laughs> ex- yes, yes, yes. Because you know, I, I, when it, when it comes to the in-depth conversations regarding class warfare, especially uh, amongst black people, I always usually like to defer to the scholars because they're going to explain it way better than me. Uh, but, but as as a, as a regular person perspective. Um, I know that bougie Negroes are, are usually not on my side, right? And, and I and I look at them as such. 
and they are going to say the things that are going to keep money in their pocket and keep, you know, visibility opportunities coming towards them. Uh, but understand, defund the police and abolish the police are well-thought-out policies, everybody. And just be aware that, you know, when people be like, oh, well, if you defund the police, who are you going to call if somebody rapes you? Who are you going to call if blah, blah, blah? Well, sir, who do, I mean, who, who do we call now? <laughs> like, if we, we really examine the, the, the type of the, I guess the quality of the job that police do, they do a very poor job of solving violent crimes, especially homicides. They do a very poor job of solving rapes and sexual assaults. So again, why are we, why are we the people who are being taxed and, and who, whose money is going directly to this institution? Why are we so much, very much in support of uh, keeping police funding at the levels that they are, while other aspects in our community, like our public schools, like our infrastructure, uh, like our public parks and recreations, while those things all fall apart, the police departments are doing better than ever. There's something wrong with that. Mhm mhm and 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 the and and the other thing is that we continue at the state local and federal level I've been saying it on this show for 30 years the dumbest damn people available get elected <laughs> agreed these people are dumb their experience this fear of experience is so narrow that they couldn't come up with, with, with solutions ever. And we continue to sit I mean and I'm and you know, you know, I'm 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 going down to it. Black people, we need to talk. Cause our stuff is not altogether uh, parallel with our needs. Because if problem and challenges and crisis that we have faced as a people with the police in these communities, in these cities, in these townships, and in the rural areas, we should have a delegated strategy of taking on the people who put us in that position, who formulate the contract who supervise and monitor the performance. And we're not doing that. We wait for somebody to get murdered on TV. And all we got is some rage. And we've got to turn that rage into some kind of strategy because some mayors get elected, some city managers get elected, and in communities where it is being resolved, those are the people who we done hijacked and put on a pitchfork. So I'm just saying, Kim, I'm just saying, you know. No, I, I mean, well, the, the problem that I see in a lot of cities, especially black places, um, is that the elected political class, is leading us truly down the wrong path and are and are not pushing forward policies that are going to uplift the communities that have have been in these mm-hmm. places generationally. So mm-hmm. specifically now I'm thinking about Atlanta, Georgia, right? Where 
they just approved, they being the Atlanta City Council, who was majority black, um, spurred on by the black mayor, Keisha Lance Bottoms, where they're going to build this $90 million police academy training facility (laughs) where they're Mm -hmm. going to tear down these many acres of this urban green space, this urban forest, and spend tens of millions of dollars investing into the Atlanta police, um, which already has a, a very bad reputation and, and relationship with the black community, the black community in Atlanta, which is already under increasing pressures of uh, rising rents, rising housing costs, and, of course, gentrification, pushing people out of the city as Atlanta tries to make itself more attractive uh, to young professional class, you know, white folks uh, mm-hmm. and make basically making the city unaffordable. So we, we have to, number one, be willing to either withhold our vote or cast votes for non traditional party candidates, right? Because, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I, again, I, I mean, I am not a conservative by any stretch of the imagination. I would never, ever direct my people to vote for any, any Republican, ever, never, never. But at the same time, we have to be willing to face facts that the Democrats are, are, are not in, operating in our best interest. And they continually wow. show us this. Often, and they show us this on yeah. a local level, and they show us this on a national level. So we I, keep, I mean, we we keep we keep shaking hands with the regime of fat back and biscuits. It's ridiculous, right? I mean, there, I, I, what has changed really since Bill Clinton in '92 to Joe Biden? Here we are in um, 2021 now where we are browbeaten during campaign seasons and election years to come out and vote for the Democrats because it's the most important election of our lifetime or of our generation. And if we don't come out and vote and the Republicans get get in control, then things are really going to be bad. Uh, But, okay, well, Joe Biden is in office, and granted, I can understand people being more reassured, I guess, in uh, on a surface level that Joe Biden is in the Oval Office and not Donald Trump. Trump clearly unhinged, et cetera. Um, but when it comes to policies, I mean, especially for our brothers and sisters who are immigrants and or trying to immigrate to the United States, I mean, let's be clear, uh, the people that are surging at the southern border, be them, you know, Central American, South American, or from the Caribbean, um, oftentimes the United States foreign policies and the economic policies of U.S.-based corporations or U.S.-based global corporations <coughs> excuse me, um, have had an impact as to why these people are surging to the border anyway because mm-hmm. of the conditions that we have helped to create in their countries, right? So Joe Biden is, 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 is I mean, I'm glad I, I was encouraged to see him allow, um, I think the number was 12,000 Haitians in to stay to allow them to apply for asylum, but why he even sent any of them back to Haiti is is sort of astounding to me. Um, yeah, and it didn't it didn't matter to him. For instance, it didn't matter to him 
when the White House understood. And see, I know how the White House works. It didn't matter to him when Foote was threatening to resign because the policy was so evil. Because after an earthquake, a presidential assassination in a country that had no economic stability at all, he was willing to send anybody back to back to Haiti. But he didn't reach out to foot to try to ask him to um, help him out a little bit with what needed to be done. And also so, the the guise of that Title 42 program about, you know, something that, that was initiated under Trump that the Biden administration has continued about deporting uh, refugees or asylum seekers on the basis of, of the COVID pandemic. Excuse me, we live in a country where people have been turning down this vaccination uh, in droves, right? So we have more than enough vaccine to send to the southern border to truly vaccinate all those people. Why in the world you would send them back to countries that have probably little to no, no yep. access to vaccine and use COVID as the guys for doing it is inhumane. It is ghastly. It is ghouly. And it, it's, a, it's an excuse that does not hold water. It's plenty. And, it, and, it's, and it, it smells of an ideology of global white supremacy. Absolutely. Something that has stuck to Haiti for for, for hundreds Centuries. of years. Centuries. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let, let me ask you about um, the notion of how this administration has retained many of the Trump leftover policies and leftover people. For instance, week before last, I was stunned when I heard that Stephen Miller, who worked in the White House, the evil Nazi little brown shirt bitch, (laughs) 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 Um, was still getting a government paycheck, a federal paycheck. Um, and uh, Louis DeJoy is still the postmaster general because the Biden administration hasn't figured out how to restructure the board of the U.S. Postal Service. And there are so many regional directors of major programs in the federal government where Trump people is still there. But it's the retention of the Trump policies that is so disturbing, and we all ought to be stunned by them. And immigration policy is only one. And, uh, I mean, uh, what, what, that, that just, uh, just further illuminates the similarities of the two political parties and whose interests they really represent. I mean, Joe Biden, I say it's almost poetic that Joe Biden is president at this point in time because he had uh, presided in the Senate for decades over all of these terrible policies ranging from environmental issues to banking to military spending to authorizing wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and, and 
many other places around the globe. And he was always there in the Senate with his rubber stamp, willing to sign off on uh, the most terrible thing proposed by either Democrats or Republicans, because Biden was known uh, for, for being able to be persuaded by Republicans a lot when he was in the Senate. Um, particularly on the on the banking and the bankruptcy um, legislation, I think, that passed in 2006 that basically prevented people from being able to claim uh, their student loans as part of a bankruptcy claim, right? So thereby exasperating the student loan debt crisis by a lot. <laughs> um, so mm-hmm. now Biden is actually in charge, and he is, you know, is all these chickens coming home to roost, so to speak, for Joe Biden. Like all the terrible stuff that you signed off on, well, here are all things that are now staring you directly in your face now that you have finally become president. And we're seeing that he is 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 there to capitulate to the powers that be uh, in any on any issue that you can think of, truly, uh, with the exception of abortion. Like, I feel like when it comes to reproductive justice uh, and abortion, Democrats get that issue right. <laughs> and I don't think that they get much right beyond that, uh, beyond, you know, defending a woman's right to choose. Um, but everything else they get very wrong. And the issue regarding the pipeline that's spilling out in the Pacific Coast that is ruining a very delicate uh, ecological systems there near Huntington Beach and Laguna Beach and Newport Beach in Southern California. Um, the Biden administration, this was reported by the Daily Poster, in their climate strategy basically said that they did not see a reason uh, to delay or to oppose new offshore drilling projects or other oil pipeline projects. Um, so, you know, the Biden administration is giving us lip service, claiming to be these that they are the ones offering progressive policies and a progressive agenda. Um, but, you know, part of me wonders, you know, are they just putting up this so-called progressive agenda to um, – to to appease their base, but they are, but they know that they don't really have a chance in getting it passed. And with all the complaints about Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, you know, my belief is that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema are playing the roles that they are supposed to be playing right now. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm glad you said that, Kim. I am so glad you said that because I think it's a I think it's a strategy that has been developed between the White House. And cinema. I mean, what president meets with a senator five times? A junior senator. <laughs> and exactly. And, and, and you are. I think you are absolutely right that there is a strategy that's being that's being put into place to hold the line. I think that and hold the line this, for whom, though, Janice. That's that's the thing that kills me. Like, hold the line for whom? Like, Mansion and Cinema are holding the up. Biden administration. I mean, you know, you know, you ever you ever been to um, to the beach with someone who doesn't want to get wet? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and as soon as the surf comes up, they run. And if you if you even think about throwing some water at them, they run. And I think that is the situation that we have, this Biden administration. 
they don't want, they're scared to disturb. They're scared to get wet. And, and, and everything that they're doing is about getting wet. We're going to have to take a break, Kim, and when we come back, I do want to talk to you about the cluster because that is at the core of, of, of this idea of the strategy that's being worked with these two, what they're calling rogue senators, who are not rogue at all. They are absolutely playing, playing, they have a role, a script that has been set for them. Thank you all for joining us here at Our Common Ground. And when we come back, we'll be in discussion with Kim Brown of Burning It Down. Uh, She is on on Tuesdays and Fridays, and we'll tell you more about that. You also can join her on Patreon and become a subscriber. Uh, We'll be right back. Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Oh, I'm sorry, Ben. Stay tuned and we'll be right back with more. Because our society is only as strong as all its individuals, the United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, We had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. How do you wake up the entire African-American community to the hidden issue of mental health? It showed up in my life through one of my best friends. And we've been friends for over 30 years. One story at a time. If we would have known earlier, you know, we would have been more, much more supportive with her. Once I reached out to my sister, it got a little better. Once I told my mother, it got a little better. The more I talked about it, I felt it coming off. The healing is in me, and the healing in a journey can also be extended to others. It's our community and our mental health. Giving voice to what you're feeling is part of the healing. If you're strong enough to just open your mouth, that's all it takes. And the most revolutionary and healing thing that black people can do right now is to love one another. It's time to share ourselves. Healing starts with us. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services the Ad Council, and the Stay Strong Foundation. This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. 
Janice Graham. Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. with the eroding of the right to protest in freedom and with uneven distribution of consequences from law enforcement. It happens when people we think are on our side when it comes to social justice simply don't show up. Or worse, shame us for taking action. It happens when we all look at each other and say, this can't last, right? Hoping that it will go away on its own. Meantime, the fascists build militias. When fascism starts to feel normal, we're all in trouble. All the denial, either from fear or uncertainty, is not helpful. We are seeing the execution in America, not the plan. America Fails, The Coming Tyranny. A 12-week discussion series exploring the possibility, the potential, the now, fascism in America. TruthWorks Network, sneak preview, October 14th, live, 8 p.m. Truth must be spoken more than once. If America Fails, 
TruthWorks Network, October 14th, 8 p.m. If America Fails, The Coming Tyranny. She says, burn it down. Walking go. You know why it's the 21st century and we too old to be dealing with this bullshit. What's up, you? My name is Kim Brown. This is my show channel. Here every Tuesday and Friday at 5 p.m. for Burn It Down with Kim Brown. My name is Kim Brown. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now back to Janet. And we thank you for being with us. I had uh, we had a little bit of technical glitch going on there. I'm not sure what it was about, but I have had five um, people uh, texted me asking me to um, to do something, and I'm going to do it. But I do want to remind you: this Thursday at 8 p.m., TruthWorks Network. If America fails. The Coming Charity, and we're going to talk uh, in the second hour a little bit more about that show. The senior producer is L. Michelle Odom uh, at TruthWorks Network. We're going to uh, YouTube. It, it will be broadcast to YouTube, Zoom, and uh, the TruthWorks Network Facebook page, and we hope you will join us uh, with Dr. Michelle's going to kill me, um, Rosenhoff, who is the expert on the issues of the book presentation and the uh, uh, Hulu production of The Handmaid's Tale, which deals with civil war in the United States, a failed state, and uh, you will tell you more about that story. But uh, we thank Kim Brown for being with us tonight. This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power. One broadcast at a time. What the American people in this country need, they need somebody that is unabashed and that has the courage and the conviction to stand up for them and to call out the rigging of this system. So the social contract is broken. You broke the contract when you killed us in the streets and they give a fuck. You broke the contract when for 400 years we played your game and built your wealth. You broke the contract when we built our wealth again on our own by our bootstraps in Tulsa and you dropped bombs on us. When we built it in Rosewood and you came in and you slaughtered us. You broke the contract, so fuck your target. Fuck your Hall of Fame. As far as I'm concerned, they could burn this bitch to the ground. And it still wouldn't be enough. And they are lucky that what black people are looking for is equality and not revenge.
Here's a clip from a show called Burn It Down with Kim Brown. Burn it, burn it, burn it down with Kim Brown. What's up, you? My name is Kim Brown. This is my show channel, my channel show. It's called Burn It Down with Kim Brown. This is a safe space to set oppression ablaze. What is oppression? All the shit that's fucking us up. Misogynoir, racism, xenophobia, transphobia, homophobia, all the crazy phobias and isms that need to fucking go. You know why? It's the 21st century, and we too old to be dealing with this bullshit. And we thank Kim Brown for being with us because she does burning it. She burns it up. And Kim, um, I tell you, I just, I, I'm so pleased to, to to have you with us uh, tonight. Before we went on break, and 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 my senior producer of TruthWorks Network uh, is uh, uh, going to be reaching out to you because we have a new production going on at TruthWorks Network called If America Fails, and it is a serious examination of the possibility and the potential that democracy will be eradicated in this country and the state will fail and we will be taken over by the people from Texas and Wisconsin and Alabama and Mississippi. <laughs> hey, and if you look at doing it. Oh yeah, I was going to say if you look at what's happening in Texas, it's it's it is happening uh right now. So, um, you know, someone asked me about that um recently about am I preparing myself or do I think that the United States will be in its current form within the next five years. And I'm like, well, maybe in the next five years, but I can't say beyond that. Um, you know, this this country has been exposed, you know, for, for the worst. And for a lot of us, we already knew that, um, you know, there was – uh, I can't even say two Americas. There's probably like ten Americas, right? Because there's a different America, mm-hmm. white and black America, you know, Latinx America, gay America. Like all these Americas look different depending on you know what corner of America is your that you know where your perspective happens to occupy or the intersection that you stand at uh, in America. But I mean, even from things like we're seeing now with these shipping delays and these uh these these chinks in the in the supply chain where you know the consequences of the dismantling of the American manufacturing industry and that aspect of our economy are coming back to bite us right now when Bill Clinton authorized NAFTA and mm-hmm. and Republicans were, you know, even though they criticized it, but all all the big corporations got on board and sent their factory jobs uh down to Mexico and Central America and over to Asia, you know, it, it, what what was predicted to happen totally happened. Uh, the 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 middle class of the United States, the industrious blue collar working class jobs, all fell away, uh, and and we're and we're dealing with the consequences of that. I think that also has something to do with the student uh, loan debt exploding in the ways that it did, because you know people I believe were pressured <laughs> to go to college uh, or get some sort of uh, you know collegiate education. 
um, because the vocational jobs just weren't weren't paying or even there, available. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, we have people, a lot of folks out here got student loan debt that we had degrees, right? Because, I mean, let's keep it a buck. College ain't for everybody, and that's okay. Like, we, we have other needs out here uh, in society. But um, but when those jobs go away, those 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 blue collar industrial jobs go away, then what? So anyway, we're just we're just we're we're seeing yeah. the, the 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 edges begin to fray in a bad way uh, that was exacerbated by COVID, um, and and just continues to to be exposed. Uh, I mean, Joe Biden was touting these unemployment numbers, how the unemployment rate went down, and I'm like, well. I wouldn't brag about that too much, sir, because you just kicked a lot of people off unemployment benefits, and the unemployment numbers don't reflect the people that have stopped looking for work altogether, right, which is a lot of folks, mm-hmm. um, including mothers, who, who obviously are rightfully complaining about the cost of child care. How can you send folks back to work during a pandemic uh, when these wages don't even pay enough for them to have their, their children taken care of? So, yep. It, it's all coming apart. <laughs> yeah, it, but surely. it really is. Uh, we're we're running on two wheels in a in a twenty one wheel uh, vehicle. But you, you you point out something that's very important, and and I immediately thought about the uh, strikers at Kellogg's. And and I I just continue to hammer the point. I don't need. Frosted Flakes tomorrow. <laughs> I'll eat some grits. <laughs> I'll, I'll eat an avocado. But we don't pay attention and think immediately. I'm not buying any Kellogg's products. I mean, I see people going into Walmart, Home Depot, uh, Red Lobster, Applebee's, Outback, all of the companies that have been complicit in bringing us to this point. And we still give them our paltry dollars. I, I don't I don't understand that at all. But let's talk about when we when we went to the break uh, one of the things that I said that we wanted to talk about, what I wanted to ask you, is what are your thoughts about this administration and uh, the refusal to to do a couple of things that could easily be done, breaking the filibuster and operating uh, as though they want something, um, the other is uh, the lack of, I mean, Joe Biden's been on TV how many times this week? Every time I turn around and I turn on the TV, there he is making a speech, but he hasn't made a speech about voter rights, and he hasn't made a speech about expanding the, the corrupt Supreme Court. He hasn't made a speech about the strike at Kellogg's, but he touts employment numbers. Talk, I mean, tell me something here, Kim. <laughs> uh, well, 
let me let me answer your question in a couple ways here because I thought what you said regarding people going to Walmart and still buying their frosted flakes and their fruit loops as 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 usual um is is a problem and you're right it that that is absolutely a problem and that has everything to do with the failure of um the mainstream media in order to cover the labor movement in in a in a balanced way most times labor news and strike news doesn't get coverage if at all and when it does it's usually because of either social media or the internet media sphere um, basically brought some sort of shame to the mainstream media outlets as to why they were ignoring these uh, issues about labors and strikes so um, I, I kind of don't fault people for being uninformed or blatantly misinformed when it comes to standing in solidarity with people that are striking. Because I can tell you, Janice, I mean, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm 43 years old out here. And when I was a young person entering the workforce, uh, even talk of unionizing or being part of a union or bringing a union to a certain, especially um, media outlet, if it wasn't already a unionized shop, I mean, that that was frowned upon, right? Um, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it, unions just experienced, you know, periods of disenrollment and low numbers in the 2000s and 2010s, so that's why I'm so encouraged to see a, a, a resurgence uh, of, of unionizing and the labor movement here in 2021, but it's going to take the regular public some time to catch up because basically we've had a generation of folks who have been deprogrammed um, out of solidarity, and they don't even really know what it means to, to stand in solidarity with, with union folks. Um, so hopefully, you know, programs like yours, programs like mine, will will bring awareness to people so they can know that, hey, while the Kellogg's workers are out on the picket line, we don't buy Kellogg's products. Um, you know, we, we were boycotting Nabisco and boycotting Frito-Lay when those workers were out there on the strike lines as well. So I, I think people just have to be re-educated about what that means. Um, but then that, that kind of goes into what your second point was regarding Joe Biden and, you know, the kind of coverage that he's been getting and the stuff that he speaks about and, more importantly, the stuff that he doesn't talk about. Um, you know, um, th- th- this administration – First of all, uh, when it comes to the issue of the filibuster in the Senate, um, the filibuster to me is is always been a, a wedge issue. I can remember when Joe Biden was a senator. <laughs> I believe this is during uh, the W. Bush administration. Heck, it could have even been during the H. W. Bush administration because Biden's been in there so long. But you know, Biden was was. Um, defending the filibuster, defending the Democrats being able to utilize mm-hmm. the filibuster as a check uh, versus, you know, a, a Republican majority uh, in Congress, especially in the Senate. So I just feel like the, the, this is a hot potato issue that just gets tossed from, from one administration to the next, from one Congress to the next, uh, and neither party really has any intention of doing away with it because when they are the minority pa- party not in power, um, it's what they use to make sure that the the ruling party just doesn't run roughshod with their agenda. Now, 
How is it that Republicans, when they are in political power, either in the Congress and White House or some combination of the two, right, they do run roughshod with their agenda, and yet when Democrats get in power, they just seem to just shrug their shoulders and be like, we don't understand how come we can't get things passed. And clearly the Democrats suck at being in power. Like, they do not know how to be in power. They do not know how to rule. They do not know how to govern. Uh, and whereas they don't know how to I win. Dis- no, they and when Even they do when they win, win, they go figure out how to lose. They act like losers. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes, it's frustrating. That's what I mean. Like I think it's okay for us to abandon them. I mean, it, are we are we going to experience? I think some some pain politically. I think so, but I I can't I I, I can't continue to vote for people who are just going to keep playing games in my face and then and then go ask me what my yeah. problem is when I'm asking them, you know, well, what happened to the things that y'all promised? Well, well, wait, you got to give us some time. Well, how much time do y'all need exactly? Because y'all have had a lot of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's just um, uh, a, a, a compuzzle. <laughs> I'm compuzzled about it, about it all. And, and let me ask you a question, Kim, uh, and maybe people in that chat room can – can also answer it. Is Kamala Harris still the vice president? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Oh man. Well, what, where it was it? I can't. I always get it confused whether or not it was Guatemala or Nicaragua when they sent Kamala down there to tell the people not to come to the border. <laughs> like, like they know when to trot Kamala out to do, you know, to play the bad guy, bad cop role, which is, of course, something that she's a natural at, considering that she indeed was a bad cop as Attorney General <laughs> of uh, the state of California. Yeah. But I, I, I don't, I, I don't. But see, here's the thing: I don't see Kamala, but I also don't be looking for Kamala. So you know, <laughs> that's, that's a good way to approach it, you know. But. <laughs> You know, it, it goes it goes back to in a in a serious tone um, when I, I, I co-chaired the campaign for New Tomorrow, which was a presidential can, campaign. It was actually a referendum campaign for Ron Daniels to run for president of the United States. And one of the things that I would always say as we campaigned is that when you look at the the two parties in this country and in, in, uh, in the political parties in this country, you're just dealing with tweedly D and tweedly dumb. And I think that this administration is playing that out so perfectly. But then on a serious note, well, on a even more serious plane, the multidimensional nature of it all I have to go back to Alpha, who's in our chat room tonight, and I have to ask the question, where are you going to go? Because we have failed to implement, to create, as you always talk about on your show, creating systems, we have failed to create the, a black political infrastructure because we are always dealing with the regime of fatback and biscuits, as Pascal Robert often says on this show. So uh, we're, we're in a conundrum in the face of authoritarianism and on the border of fascism. 
what the hell do we do? Well, I think we have to be real about our situation. Um, I, I disagree about there being a lack of black political infrastructure. I just think that the black political infrastructure that is in place does not serve nor address the real material needs of black people. Um, I think that the black political infrastructure that is in place in this country uh, is just a means to token funnels into the democratic establishment in order to continuously having some sort of black representation there uh, to keep black people coming and voting for Democrats, uh, despite the fact that the Democrats have shown us time and time again from the national level to the state level, to the local level, that they are not making policies that are improving our conditions. You know, they are funneling money to the police. They continue to defund public education. They continue to defund public health. Um, and we have to be real that it is that it is black Democrats who are doing this to us, right? Like we we have to, mm-hmm. you know, stop looking at at you know these these isolated um, success stories, basically, of politics. I know so many black people still love Barack Obama, but as I pointed out on my show recently, even out of office, Barack Obama is, is disenfranchising black people right now with the construction and the new groundbreaking of the Obama Presidential Library. There are elderly black residents. There are young black residents in the Jackson Park neighborhood of the South Shore area where the groundbreaking of the Obama Presidential Library is just, just started who are begging the Obamas to not put their library there because the gentrification and displacement of generations of black Chicagoans from this area is already beginning to happen. So we have to stop looking at these black folks, these these high-achieving black folks, as their success is our success, and that is not the case. Okay, that that is that ain't it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me let me let me also note to your point on the uh, uh, Obama Center in Chicago um, that those negotiations have been going on for nearly two years, three years now. They weren't listening. The Obama Foundation has not listened. Perfectly to they, well, let's let's just say they've had a deaf ear and been blind in one eye on the issue of how gentrification is going to happen in that neighborhood and what it means for even property owners in that neighborhood, and they haven't listened and they broke ground last week. It's 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 that's your it, reality, it, it, folks. It's a reality, and I need, you know, and you got to tell your mama, and you got to tell your your meemaw, and you got to tell your auntie, and I know they're gonna be mad at you when you tell them this about about mm-hmm. Barack Obama, uh, but that's just an example, right? I mean, shoot, we can go down the line. I can name you ten black elected officials who are not doing a good job serving their constituents uh, where they are uh, lo- located at in, in their respective, you know, districts and municipalities. So we have to be we have to be realistic about this, and we can't we can't be afraid to support 
a third-party candidate, even if it's in principle only, because the only way that we are going to get out of this political duopoly, this, this, this lesser of two evils, non-choice of a choice that we are continuously faced with, is that we actually have to elevate third-party candidates, okay? And it's not a wasted vote to vote for a third-party candidate. And guess what? Every election is not the most important election of our generation because uh, that's how that, – I mean, it is the, – the, the dissuading of voters to vote third-party – the fear is used to do that, that, oh, if you waste your vote on this third-party candidate, the Republicans will win. The Republicans will win. And it's like, well, if the Republicans win, <laughs> show me how that's oh so different than how when the Democrats win. I mean, but again, like, for example, there, there's, a, there's a governor's race right now in Virginia that is very close between former Governor Terry McAuliffe, who was a Clintonite and who has been governor before of, of Virginia, versus the Republican, uh, Republican Glenn Youngkin, who is backed by Donald Trump. Then there's a third-party candidate, Liberation Party candidate, um, woman Princess Blending, who is who's running, and people are saying that they're afraid to vote for her because Glenn Youngkin, the Trump-backed candidate, might win. And it's like mm-hmm. I understand Lightly, that, yeah. but but if not now, when? Like we have to take a stand at some point. And Terry McAuliffe, at the end of the day, is the same as Glenn Youngkin. He is a multi-millionaire, land-owning white man who has made politics his entire career. So whereas. Terry McAuliffe may not outlaw abortion, where Glenn Youngkin, there's possibility that he could, you know, make efforts to tighten uh, abortion access in in Virginia. Uh, At some point, we have to say enough is enough, and the only way we can do that through electoral politics is with our votes. So some of what I mean, we're going to have to take some courageous stands here and support some third-party candidates, even in close races. And even if it's simply to send a message. Yes, any kind of support. Yes, yes. I mean, I I look at Cory Bush uh, of Missouri in the House, and um, she and maybe one or two other people, the the young uh, brother from Colorado um, and Bowman from New York, and, and they really are standing alone. And that's where our support has to be, when people are willing to stand alone. And, and, and winning is not the only mission in their candidacy. The other is, Kim, I want to um, uh, get your opinion about, because I believe that black activism is going to save us. Uh, not black elected officials, Uh, black activism is going to save us. And I know gentrification, displacement for reasons of economics, um, a whole bunch of cultural things have happened. But if we don't start using referendums as a weapon in our war of liberation, for liberation, we're going to continue to have these problems. Am I right, Kim, or am I wrong, or am I too old to even think about it? No, you're 100% right. Uh, I mean, any sort of 
reformation action, again, is always created and birthed and, and stoked and enabled at the grassroots level. And I promise, like, everywhere you can think of, there are liberation groups, there are organizations that are creating policies and and driving petitions to try to get people uh, to get behind actions exactly like what you're describing, to get referendums on the ballot so that changes can substantively be made from the ballot box. And that's all because of, of black organizers, right, um, and, and our allies and comrades who are non-black as well. And special shout-out to the LGBTQ black organizers because, I mean, without, without our gay and trans brothers and sisters, um, our movement wouldn't even be a movement. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that and recognize that the contribution uh, that black gay folks continue to make uh, to the liberation of us all, right, despite the fact okay, that you not know, all of you us know, You know I'm going to record what you just You know I'm going to record what you just said and send it to Dave Chappelle. <laughs> Please do. Please do. Because I, I that boy I, lost his mind. I, I don't mean, know what his deal is. Drug-induced psychosis, maybe. I don't know. Like Dave, like Dave has to understand. And and I said I did a I did a piece on this on my show because I'm a fan of Dave Chappelle largely. But uh, you know he he's kind of going out sad right now. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you know, yeah. Dave, I I understand that you're a black man, and, and do black men have um, specific racial um, struggles and oppressions that they deal with particular to them? Absolutely. Uh, but Dave Chappelle, you are a very wealthy black man. You are a very popular black male celebrity with a lot of white fans, sir. Um, it does it is not behoove you to use your position, uh, nor your voice, nor your platform to, to marginalize an already marginalized community, right? And I know that he mm-hmm. specified that he was talking to the white trans community, but he did that to the erasure of the black trans community. Like, I mean, his his gripes, um, he, he only addressed part of the people that have raised concerns with him while ignoring all the complaints and the smoke that black trans folks have had for him. So um, I don't know. I hope somebody pulls Dave's coat. I hope I hope somebody pulls his jacket a little bit and, and, and gives him the, the reality check that he needs, uh, but I don't think he's ever going to get it just because the more wealthy and more famous that you get, the more out of touch you are uh, with, with what common folks uh, are going through. So, yeah, they, they I'm not need a, to I'm get not off that. I'm not a big that. fan of comedy, uh, black comedy. In it, I mean, I'm, I'm just not a big, big fan, never have been. Uh, I don't watch comedy movies. I don't watch comedy performances. I went to Monique once because my daughter and uh, her friend's mothers, they organized it, and um, I I just, I'm just not, that's just not it. Uh, I have never really thought that Dave Chappelle has been blistering funny and that his commentary on the culture, history, and status of black people has been particularly um, 
what I do, my flavor. You know, I mean, I, 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 I have, I, I don't like muffins, but I do like a pistachio muffin every now and then. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so well, Dave, you know, he, he's leaning, he, he's leaning a lot on the, uh, the the popularity of of his earlier work on the Chappelle show and his earlier stand up. Yes. I I don't mm-hmm. think that Dave's I agree. He has not been knee slap, you know, hearty har har funny uh not in some time actually. You know, it's it's, it's been it, I can't tell you the last comedy special that Chappelle made that I was like, yo. Well, actually, that's not true. The one that he did on YouTube where it was very rough and it was during pandemic and it was outside, you know, to an outside audience and he's literally like reading notes. He did a bit about Chris Dorner, uh, which I'm sure people probably remember. Yeah, Chris Dorner, the, the former LAPD. Yes. Yep. Like, I, now, I thought that that was rather brilliant of him to turn the the the, the situation surrounding Chris Dorner into something that actually had some humorous, uh, some hu- some legitimate humor to it. So he did a brilliant job of that. But the rest of what he's been doing as of the past, you know, three to five years has been very <laughs> average. Hush, hush, Bagheera. Has been very average to, like, below average, in my opinion. So I don't know. I hope I hope Dave can reclaim. His, his genius moniker, but as I said on my show on Friday, he needs to really be studying from uh, the, the Dick Gregory's and the George Carlin's uh, and, and really ramp up his radicalism because I think he's smart enough to do it and be funny about it, uh, but he's just being really lazy right now, you know, just, just lazy, lazy, lazy. Well, um, we're, we're going to have to close uh, soon, and I wanted to get your take um on and by the way your commentary about Chappelle I I absolutely agree but I I also agree that that's true about many of the black celebrities that they're leaning on past work and the new work doesn't reflect pioneering or the kind of brilliance or genius that they showed at the beginning of their mm-hmm. career, what may you know? Uh, yes. You know, like I've had some real problems, and and you know, when I when I think about black culture and the and the narratives that are created uh, to it uh, in contemporary times, I think about uh, Forrest Whitaker and doing the Black Harlem thing, Black Godfather of ha- Harlem. Uh, series for whatever network it was, it is or whatever, and and I'm I'm not sure if celebrities are using are weaponizing their popularity to ensure that the black narrative is not distorted. For ratings or whatever, I'm, I'm just not sure about that. But I did want to get your your take on what we have, what has gone extremely well for Black people over the last ten years. Um, maybe what? I shouldn't ask you about ten years. Maybe uh, what has gone well for us. I think what 
has gone well is that our our eyelids of awakeness are are fluttering once again. I think that the consciousness of our people is being raised hopefully like it like it was during the the civil rights era to the extent that not only are we more aware of the the systems of oppression that are still actively working to keep us um, subservient and in a second-class role, um, our, our awareness of these institutions and, and their impacts on our lives, but also understanding that we actually have the power to counteract a lot of what is being organized against us by organizing ourselves. Um, and, and understanding that, you know, movement building is the way that we're going to get to liberation. And we have to understand also um, that, you, you know, organizing works. We, you know, we, we talk about, like, what has happened to black people in the past 10 years that is good. I was trying to think kind of quickly, you know, I'm like, okay, what has been good? over <laughs> uh, Like, from a policy <laughs> perspective, and the first thing that jumped into my mind uh, is, you know, the decriminalization and legalization of marijuana in a lot of places. Now, I know that from a, an economic standpoint, black people have been largely shut out of the legal marijuana game, and even in places where marijuana is legal and or decriminalized, um, black people are still being ticketed and, you know, messed with by the police for for something that is allegedly legal and decriminalized. But what the, those policies have done um, is they have dropped the amount of, of drug arrests because uh, we know that weed, by and large, was used as a pretext for um, illegal searches, a pretext for you know giving police probable cause uh, to give them access to either your person or your vehicle or your home for you know to find uh, additional contraband, which is how a lot of people usually end up getting in trouble because just off the smell of marijuana. Um, and those policies are are slowly but surely starting to go away everywhere, which inevitably helps us because we're the ones largely being targeted uh, for, for, for drug arrests, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, again, mm-hmm. and it's not to say that the police haven't pivoted to something else, you know, to start bothering black people about, um, but it just goes to show you that just because something is one way and it's been that way for a very, very long time, marijuana has been illegal in this country for a long, long time, since the 30s. So we've had a marijuana prohibition basically from, you know, 1920s, 1930s until recently, damn near 100 years. Um, things can change, um, and, and, mm-hmm. and they can change quick, and they can change, like, literally before your eyes. So before we just abandon all hope, which at times I am very tempted to do, uh, just because sometimes the bad news of things can just be so cascading and the impotence of our elected leaders and the greediness and destructiveness of, uh, you know, global corporations it can be a lot to, to bear and to process and to deal with sometimes. Uh, but 
change can happen, y'all. Like, change can happen at the blink of an eye, um, and we have to just be very discerning in understanding uh, the messages and who these messages are coming from and whether or not these people who are delivering the messages are credible people. Do they have our entire best interest at heart, or do they only have their own personal ambitious uh, ambitions that they're concerned about? So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to be optimistic, Janice. I really am, <laughs> uh, just because I do understand that you, sometimes think, nothing can happen for a very long time, and then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. a lot of things happen very quickly. So, yeah. Well, I, I've, I've been, I've been trying to hold on to that that form of optimism um, about this. Uh, I'm, I'm a big supporter of the infrastructure efforts of uh, the Biden administration because I think that there are programs embedded inside that funding that are absolutely essential, um, and they're not the ones that have to do with the physical uh, repair and creation of safe roads and highways um, but the human restructuring infrastructure that that needs to happen in this country, and I really have been 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 pretty up, uh, trying to struggle uh, to be optimistic that it is going to happen. I've also had some fears about what they're going to cut in compromising. Last week, week, week before last, we did a show on compromise and capitulation that this administration is um, is engaging in. And I'm afraid that we're going to lose some of the very vital parts of the human um, infrastructure uh, programs that are inside that bill. But but you're right, we we do. And, you know, I've been holding on for a long time about a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm 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 very frugal with uh optimism uh about uh in in the uh in the political processes in this country. Kim Brown, tell us how we connect with you, how we can support you. Um I'm uh, about your Patreon page and how people in this audience can support your independent media uh, broadcast. Well, thank you so much for that opportunity, Janice. And, yes, people, if you're interested in in more of our commentary and some of the topics that we cover on Burn It Down with Kim Brown, please, I encourage you to go to our YouTube channel, you can just search Burn It Down with Kim Brown in your YouTube browser, and we should come right up um, and hit subscribe. That would be also awesome. The thing is, we are always welcoming and appreciative of free support, meaning that if you just give us a view, like look at a video, give us a thumbs up on a video, or even subscribe to the channel, or even follow us at our social media platforms, we're on 
Instagram and Facebook at B-I-D-W-K-B. That's B-I-D-W-K-B. Um, if you guys give us likes and follows and thumbs ups, I, I am here for all the free support. But, of course, we are independent media, um, so we are Deeply appreciative of any material support that we receive, um, and we have, I believe, close to 95 patrons over on our Patreon, and we do some some um, unique content over there on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash B-I-D-W-K-B if you'd be interested in supporting us um, with with some some coins that's cool too and we are on cash app dollar sign bidwkb venmo at bidwkb paypal.me slash bidwkb um we are deeply appreciative for any material support that we get but again we totally understand that times are tough um and and people may not have disposable income right now to be supporting all kinds of media outlets which i totally get so if you just go and subscribe to the channel or like a video that that is absolutely more than enough and we we appreciate any and all kinds of forms of support we receive well well thank you very much and we will be happy to respect you and your work by subscribing and your 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 live broadcast is on Tuesdays and Fridays at what time at 5 p.m. Eastern, Tuesdays and Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern. And I'm also a contributor to Black Power Media, which is another black-led. Dr. Jared Ball. That's right. That's right. With, with uh, Dr. Jared Ball and Kamal Franklin and Kalanji Changa and uh, Jacqueline Lukman. Um, it's, it's, it's a wonderful offering of different types of black-led um, programming, black political radical programming over there on Black Power Media. So I'm one of the co-hosts of the Remix Morning Show, which airs Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays at 8 a.m. Eastern Time over on Black Power Media Channel as well. Mm-hmm. And people, you can also uh, put these shows on your smart devices at work, in your office, on your phones, and, um, and and listen in in that way. Kim Brown, thank you so very much for being with us. We hope that you'll join us on Thursday night when we premiere If America Fails. Your voice is very important. Uh, we're looking at the coming and uh, already arrived tyranny in in America, if America fails, and you can all find information. Michelle Odom has done a fantastic job in producing this. I'm you know I'm I'm real confused about people. I, I, man, I do Zoom with my family and my book group, and uh, but you know doing a broadcast on Zoom or. YouTube, you know, I'm I'm accustomed to walking into a radio station with rollers in my hair. Okay, let's just put it that way. <laughs> and I've been broadcasting for years in my pajamas, and um, so this is going to be a new experience for me. But it's if America fails. Dot live, you can get all of the information that you need. Kim Brown. Thank you so very much. We hope that we'll have you back. We're going to have a reunion in February 
with guests that I have had. Uh, a lot of my guests, Amos Wilson, um, um, Oscar Brown Jr., um, people are old, they're dead, they, I mean, <laughs> when I think about it, and uh, I'm working on a book project now, which is going to be a coffee table um, book of bios of all of the wonderful people that have been guests on this show over 34 years. Uh, I think they are names and people that, um, voices that have been so important uh, in our struggle. So uh, we hope you'll come back and you'll be here for a reunion. Michelle will be in touch with you about uh, participating. We have um, Ruth Ben-Giat. Uh, we're looking at people like Timothy Snyder and um, Tim, um, some some other people that have also been voices on our common ground. So we hope oh. that you will join us. I, for that. I would be I would be honored to join you, and I really appreciate the invitation to join you tonight on our common ground, Janice. And congratulations for your very illustrious in dynamic career in broadcasting and in politics. I certainly uh, need more mentors and and sisters <laughs> like you who have been doing this for some time and who have been able to weather all the storms that, you know, just, just being a black woman in this industry can bring. So congratulations to you on your very successful and accomplished career in broadcasting for these years. Thank you, Kim. Uh, we're going to go out, and we will see you next Saturday night where we'll just be dealing with the controversy. We'll just be dealing with the information. Thank you so much for being with us here at Our Common Ground. Great to see Alpha uh, up and about at Our Common Ground. And don't forget to join us on Thursday night, 8 p.m., at TruthWorks Network YouTube channel. Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. being with us tonight on Our Common Ground. Say their name. Shut your mouth. Be a good girl. Roll over and spread your legs. Yes, ma'am. May the Lord open. Seriously? What the actual...
Now this chain of destruction begins with the phase we can call identification, in which a group of people is identified as a cause for problems in society. People start to perceive their fellow citizens as bad, they're evil. They used to be worthwhile people, but now all of a sudden, for some reason, their lives are worthless. The second link in the chain of destruction is ostracism, by which we learn how to hate these people, how to take their jobs away, how to make it harder for them to survive. People lose their place to live. Often they're forced into ghettos where they're physically isolated, separate from the rest of the society. The third link is confiscation. People lose their rights, civil liberties. The laws themselves change, so it's made easier for people to be stopped on the street, patted down, searched, and for their property to be confiscated. Now, once you start taking people's property away, you can start taking the people themselves away. And the fourth link is concentration. Concentrate them into facilities such as prisons, camps. People lose their rights. They can't vote anymore, have children anymore. Often their labor is exploited in a very systematic form. The final link in the chain of destruction is annihilation. Now this might be indirect by say withholding medical care, withholding food, preventing further births. Or it might be direct where death is inflicted or people are deliberately killed. These steps tend to happen of their own momentum without anybody forcing them to happen. I think a lot of people would be disturbed and outraged by the thought that any part of this process could be going on in America that I realized that some of these same steps were happening. with the eroding of the right to protest in freedom and with uneven distribution of consequences from law enforcement. It happens when people we think are on our side when it comes to social justice simply don't show up. Or worse, shame us for taking action. It happens when we all look at each other and say, this can't last, right? Hoping that it will go away on its own. Meantime, the fascists build militias. When fascism starts to feel normal, we're all in trouble. All the denial, either from fear or uncertainty, is not helpful. We are seeing the execution in America, not the plan. America Fails, The Coming Tyranny. A 12-week discussion series exploring the possibility, the potential, the now, fascism in America. TruthWorks Network, sneak preview, October 14th, live, 8 p.m. Truth must be spoken more than once. If America Fails, TruthWorks Network. October 14th, 8 p.m. If America Fails, The Coming Tyranny.